This is the Chapel Real Estate Show, episode number one. Welcome to the Chapel Real Estate Show, your source for the latest real estate information so you can buy, sell, and invest with the best in Texas. Whether you're a first-time buyer, a current homeowner, or a seasoned investor, you've come to the right place. We're here to simplify all things real estate so you can achieve your goals of property ownership with your hosts, Daniel and Roger Chapel. Hey, 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 what's up, listeners? Thank you for tuning into the Chapel Real Estate Show, where we discuss all things real estate so that you can buy, sell, and invest with the best. I'm your host, Daniel Chapel, and I have my co-host here, top performing realtor, Chapel Realty Group team leader, my mentor and dad, Roger Chapel. How are you doing today, Dad? I'm doing great. Good morning, Daniel, and thank you for that uh, very, very nice and warming uh, introduction. Very welcome. It's great to have you on the show today. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about some of the uh, some of the real estate market information that we feel like is necessary for you guys to know. Um, so we like to work with buyers, sellers, and investors in the real estate market. So first and foremost, we want to introduce ourselves to you guys. Uh, we're Daniel and Roger Chapel. We are licensed realtors in the Austin and Central Texas area. Roger is the team leader for Chapel Realty Group, as I mentioned before, and uh, we work together on that team. It's a team of four agents with Coldwell Banker. Um, so dad, why don't you kick us off for just a minute and tell us a little bit about yourself, how long you've been in the business of real estate and what inspired you to get into the business? Well, that's, uh, quite a mouthful there. Uh, I started off in law enforcement in Houston area. I uh, was there for 22 years, uh, retired, uh, went out to California with your mom, uh, who just got her first executive position. So we went out there, uh, started studying for my real estate license, uh, and she got promoted and brought back to Texas. So when we got back to Texas, I jumped right in and got my license. Now, the reason I got my license is kind of a unique story. So we were buying and selling properties uh, starting as far back as, well, we bought our first property in 94. And then since then, we bought and sold several. We've done investments and things of that nature. And our, I think our first investment property was 2007 or 8. Uh, over the period of time, we worked with one realtor through uh, most of our purchases. And with this one realtor, he got to the point where he couldn't show one of our rental properties. So I started doing the showings and we found out very quickly that I actually have a talent for that. Turns out that my law enforcement background uh, provided me with the uh, interviewing and uh, skills to talk with people and ask questions that most realtors I know don't ask. So they, without asking the right questions, you can't get the right information to be able to help the client. Well, it just seemed like a natural fit to me. And uh, from there, we decided to go ahead and get into it. Not to mention the fact that your mom and I really do love real estate. There's things about this business that are just uh, incredible. And I learn something almost every single day. And in all the deals that I've done, uh, I always learn something. There's not one deal that goes by that I don't, I don't learn something from it. So uh, I've been actually licensed in the state of Texas now for almost five years uh, and done I don't know, well over 100 deals. I can't tell you how many right now. I don't really know. It's over 100. Awesome. Wow. Um, so when you got into the business, did you have a, a mentor or somebody that you looked up to or who, who was the person that really took you under their wing to, to teach you how this business really works? Yes. In fact, uh, right after I got licensed, I joined a company here in Georgetown and uh, worked with a, a gentleman named Jay Warren. And I literally parked myself in his back pocket for about the first six months. 
uh, I listened to his phone conversations and the people that he talked to. He, he got me into going to city council meetings and learning what's happening around the city. Uh, I would join planning and zoning commission for a period of time where I, I really could see the developments coming. Uh, I listened to his conversations with, with his investors and with his buyers and with his sellers. Uh, I completed uh, a contract a week uh, just to get me used to doing contracts so that I understood what was in the contracts and uh, what information needed to go in there and how I could better service uh, our clients. Uh, so uh, Jay was very, very instrumental in teaching me this side of the business. Uh, so yeah, he was definitely my mentor and, and really did help me out a lot. I give him a lot of credit for that. Awesome. Well, uh, you know, as you progress through the business, I, as I understand it, you uh, did not have a team whenever you first got into real estate, right? So um, how did you know it was the right time for you to go ahead and take that next step and, and you know, start a team, bring on some people to help you facilitate your transactions? At what point were you, did you feel that you were ready for that? Oh, it was probably a couple of three years ago. I literally one summer got overwhelmed with the number of closings that I had. And, you know, everybody that's in a real estate business knows that during the summertime is when we have the peak, uh, the peak season typically. So we just get uh, inundated with all kinds of stuff that, that, you know, people don't understand all the stuff that agents do once a contract is accepted and a, 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 you know, a buyer or seller make an agreement on purchase of property or sale of a property, that's when the work really begins. And it just got overwhelming. So I knew right away I needed to hire somebody to come and help me out, which is uh, when I started looking your way. And I remember one event in particular, your mom sent me to do a, a, a running errand to meet you for something. And I don't even remember what it was, but I remember you were working and I watched your sales pitch with a lady and you did it in Spanish, which to me was just phenomenal. But of course, I, I know you're bilingual, so that, that wasn't phenomenal. It was your presentation and it was how you did it and how you treated this lady that, and you had no idea I was standing there watching all of this. But I saw that, I saw your interaction with her and I knew right away, you need to be in real estate uh, because I knew you had what it, what it took to do that. But I also knew, knew that I needed the help. So that was when I kind of planted the seed in your, in your side of it, see if you wouldn't get your license to come and join me. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, that, that's, that's a, I think about that story all the time because it, it really was kind of, you know, as he said, I had no idea that he was standing there. I was just doing what I had to do. I think at the time I was working at Sam's Club selling direct TVs. It was not the peak of my career. Uh, but it was, uh, you know, it was one of those jobs where you had to really think uh, of how you could shift somebody's mindset from thinking about grocery shopping to, hey, you know, let me save you some money on your TV package. Or, um, you know, we sold internet as well, home phone, stuff like that. So, um, you know, that I remember that that transaction. And that was the first close that I actually had at that job. I think I'd only been at the job for about a week or maybe two weeks. Um, and, you know, my dad had that conversation with me, said, hey, you know, I think you would be great in this business. And it wasn't until a couple of years after that point that I actually jumped uh, ship from my, my sales job to actually get licensed in real estate and join him on the team. But, um, you know, my background was based out of the restaurant industry. So when I was 19 years old, I got started in a, a Chipotle Mexican grill and kind of worked my way through the ranks uh, of that management. And I just absolutely fell in love with the, the coaching and, and the development aspect of leadership. And, you know, as I continued to move up through the ranks at Chipotle, it was a lot of fun to learn more about the business operations. And, um, you know, as, as I found 
the time to move away from the restaurant business and step into a new sales position um, as a sales manager with AT&T, that was kind of a, you know, where I really started to realize that I had a natural knack for the sales thing. And uh, so, you know, when my dad approached me and said, hey, I think you'd be a great fit to, to join my team. I could really use your help. Um, it, it was kind of a no brainer. It took, you know, all of my favorite things. It took development, leadership. It took, uh, you know, the, the sales aspect, the operations aspect and kind of lumped it all into one. So I really found a, a, a fun niche working with, with you and, uh, and with our team. So it's been a lot of fun. It's been a great experience. I've now been licensed for a little over two years. Um, I've been working with the Chapel Realty Group team for about two years. Um, and you know, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. I do all of our transaction coordinating. I do some of our content management, um, and, and, you know, just try to get all of our systems and everything documented. So it's a lot of fun. Um, it's, it's a great experience getting to work with all these people, but, um, you know, that, that's a little bit about us. So enough about that. Let's go ahead and, uh, start moving into today's episode. This segment of the of the podcast is going to be called the Chapel Chunk. So every episode, we're going to bring you guys a little bit of a, a tip related to the day's topic. And uh, today's Chapel Chunk is going to be to subscribe to our podcast, the Chapel Real Estate Show. Make sure you subscribe. We're going to be releasing new episodes every Tuesday, um, and you're not going to want to miss the information that we want to share with you guys. So be sure you come back, tune in, and let's you know bring you along on this journey, and let's let's get you home. With all that being said, let's go ahead and dive into today's episode. So we're going to be talking about what it's like to be a buyer, a seller, or an investor in today's market. So dad, what do you say we kick things off by discussing what it looks like to be a seller in the central Texas market right now? Absolutely. So here recently, uh, I noticed, especially since COVID-19 hit, uh, our inventory in Austin has taken a dramatic nosedive. So uh, since I've been in real estate here in the Austin area, I've noticed that, you know, we've always had a pretty low inventory in comparison to other markets across the country or even in the state of Texas. But the reason being is, you know, we just have so much demand that homes don't sit on the market here very long. So they, the way that it's measured is in a number of months worth of inventory that we have. So uh, three months is about typical for, for Austin area which means it's still a very strong seller's market. And it has been a seller's market since I've been licensed. So uh, I've never seen that shift. It's gotten close, but it's never shifted. With that said, once COVID hit, we had a lot of homes that were on the market and the sellers decided to take the home off the market. Uh, to be honest with you, there was uncertainty. There was no mitigation in place to be able to prevent someone from tracking this virus into someone's home. So a lot of our sellers rightfully uh, decided not to list their home or they pulled it off the market either temporarily or permanently. So, and we haven't recovered from that. At the same time, we still had buyers coming here from all over the country and they needed places to live. So what we saw happen is uh, our new home inventory took a dramatic nosedive. So many people were coming here, they're buying new homes like crazy. So all the inventory homes were, were taken off the market. So then the, the new home builders started uh, building more. But then when COVID shut the entire country down, then we saw a lapse, uh, a huge gap of about two months where nothing was being made. There were no appliances being made. There was no material being cut. There was nothing being delivered. Everything literally was shut down. But when we still had all these sales still continuing to go on, because in real estate, especially in Texas, we were considered essential. So we're still selling. 
because we, I mean, there's a demand, there's a big buyer demand, but there's no product. Well, then of course that created a ripple effect across the industry that has caused us now to where there are delays in construction. Uh, we're seeing what used to take six months, taking anywhere from eight to 10 months. So as a buyer, one of the things that I do is, is uh, when I represent buyers, is set that expectation that it's probably gonna take you a while to be able to get the home that you want. Um, and you may wind up having to settle because what we're seeing is there are so many offers going in on homes that uh, the buyers begin to get frustrated because they're putting in offer after offer after offer and they're not getting their dream home. Somebody else is coming in and outbidding them, which caused yet another problem, which is our price points are continuing to increase. And there are so many reasons why uh, economics is one of them. It's all about supply and demand. Uh, the other thing has to do with the material. The cost of material is going up. Uh, why? Because there's no supply. <laughs> so it's all about supply and demand. And when you see that ripple effect, and if we set that stage for our buyers and let them know that up front, uh, I'm sorry, our, our sellers, uh, then they understand that they have a product that is in very high demand. So when that product is in very high demand, one thing we can expect, well, on the seller side of it, is to have multiple offers. And if, uh, you know, if there's a, a seller out there right now who has their house on the market as a for sale by owner, or they're thinking or they're considering doing that and saving themselves uh, what it's going to cost them in commission to sell their home, I would caution them uh, to be aware of a few things. Uh, number one is, you know, uh, you, you never know who's going through your house. But if you hire a professional to do that, we will be able to at least know who the agent is that's going through the house and with their clients. With that, we should be able to find out who's going through the house. Number two, we also set up the stuff to help mitigate the virus uh, to prevent as best as we can uh, from having that virus come into to one's home. Uh, the other thing too is that, you know, we understand contracts the way most uh, average people don't. Why? Because we deal with these contracts on a daily basis. So we know what's in them and we understand uh, what that means to the seller as well as to the buyer. So with both of those things, uh, those are extremely important. When it comes to price, everybody seems to think they know what their price, their, their house is worth because uh, the neighbor sold their house for X amount of dollars. So, you know, my house is better. Therefore, my house should be worth more. Okay, that's, that's very common. I hear that all the time. But that may not be what the market says the home is worth. So uh, as a professional, my job is to make sure that I explain to the seller this is what the market says the home is worth, and this is why. And then I provide the documentation to support that so that you're not getting it just from me talking. I'm talking because I have the data to prove it. So, and then the data that I provide is very stringent. Uh, and I try to provide the best data that I can based on what I understand that appraisers are looking for. So I'm not going to be able to tell you what your house is worth. Only an appraiser can do that. Uh, what I can tell you is what the market says your home is worth. I mean, I, I can give you an idea based on what the market data is, but it's going to be the appraiser's job to determine the true value of one's home. Absolutely. So uh, what are some of the things that you might tell your clients when they're preparing to list their homes? You know, I know there's a, there's a few general things that typically you want to make sure every seller is aware of and that they get taken care of before the house ever hits the market. So what are some of those things that you recommend for your clients? Well, as Jay Warren, my mentor, explained to uh, me several times is that there's the three C's. There's cleanliness, curb appeal, and clutter. 
you get those three things taken care of, then typically your house will look nice enough to be able to list on the market. So one thing that I, uh, I mean, the curb appeal, that's the very first thing that a buyer sees when they pull up in front of the house, curb appeal. What's the house look like? If the exterior looks really nice and pristine and cleaned up, uh, then it sends a really uh, great message to uh, the potential buyer. Cleanliness and clutter. What does clutter mean? Everybody seems to think clutter is just, uh, it's, it's ugly. Well, it is ugly, it's unsightly. So you want to reduce the clutter as much as possible. So how does one do that? Well, you, you get rid of all the small stuff. A kitchen is a perfect example. You walk into my kitchen right now, I've got all the containers that have the sugar and the salt and the garlic and all that kind of stuff sitting on the countertop. Uh, then I've got a big blender that we use on a constant basis. Or, so that's sitting up there. And then I may have a pot sitting on the stove or a little tortilla pan that I may use or something like that. All those kinds of things are out because I use them on a regular basis. But once I decide I'm going to sell my home, all of that stuff has to go away. So I need to put it, find a place to put it. One thing that we also recommend is packing up. Go ahead and start packing. You can buy some of these little clear plastic tubs over at uh, your local department store, fill those babies up, stick them in a garage. And the other thing too is that most people, when they're looking at a home, they know that the sellers are moving. So when they go to the garage, it is not a bad thing that the garage is full of all the stuff that you just moved out of the house. That's okay. People expect that. That If that's not that way, they're gonna wonder what's up. Uh, so uh, just kind of keep that in mind. Uh, the cleanliness, that speaks for itself. The house has to be clean. Uh, if the carpets need to be shampooed, we wanna make sure that's taken care of ahead of time. Uh, if you've got minor repairs that need to be done to kind of have the house looking a little bit unsightly, Now's the time to go, you know, that would be the time to go ahead and get that taken care of as well. Uh, get the little small painted things done. Uh, you know, you might want to do a pre-inspection. Pay an inspector to go through and tell you what's wrong with the house. There's not a, nothing wrong with that. At least now you have an idea. So you can go ahead and start getting some of those things taken care of. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Um, so <clears throat> you kind of touched on this for a moment earlier, but I kind of want to backtrack to it. So with the market as hot as today's, I'm sure a lot of sellers might think that they can list their homes on their own. Um, you know, like you said, houses are a hot commodity right now. So why, why do we need a real estate agent to assist us? But I know you and I both know that these contracts can be a little bit complicated when you're not used to seeing them every day. So what are some of the contractual obligations that a seller might not be prepared for if they didn't have the, the advice of a professional? Well, a lot of these contracts, remember, this is state specific. So each state has their own laws uh, and their own regulations about what needs to go into contract uh, and that, that sort of thing. So the sellers need to be aware of that. This is more state specific. So uh, you need to make sure that you're up on top of that. I always recommend that you get a local agent uh, that understands your area uh, and do your due diligence. Find a local agent that can help walk you through all of this. Uh, some of the things to be aware of, at least in Texas, is there's so many little things in a contract. Survey. There may be a timeline as to when you have your survey delivered to a title company. The choice of a title company. People don't realize that a seller does have a choice in a title company if they want to. Uh, but there are some legal implications behind that, too. Then, uh, goodness, option money and earnest money and how much should that be to... to let a seller know that this buyer is serious. What else do you need to look for? Is the buyer really qualified to purchase the house? If they say they're purchasing it cash, can they prove they have the funds to do that with? 
these kinds of things. There's so many little things, uh, home warranties. There, I mean, there's just so many little things that go into these contracts sometimes that if you're not prepared for it or you don't know what it is that you're looking at, then as a seller, you could be setting yourself up for some trouble down the line. Yeah, makes sense. Wishing you a safe and prosperous 2021 from our team at Chapel Realty Group. <clears throat> well, um, so, you know, we, we mentioned that sellers are seeing a lot of multiple offers in today's market. So, and I know you and I have heard of some pretty crazy stories, 95 offers on, on one property over a weekend. So, I, I'm, I'm sure you can't even wrap your head around how you would go about pre presenting no. 95 offers to a client of yours. So, um, you know, but that's a perfect segue into our next topic, which is buyers. So how are today's buyers navigating a market where multiple offers aren't only common, but they're almost expected? So one of the things that as a buyer's agent, uh, and again, with buyers, I really cannot stress to them enough uh, about how important it is to get an agent to represent them. Uh, whether it's buying a new home or it's buying resale, they still need somebody who works for them because of our fiduciary responsibility uh, with our licensing agency, Trek. then we are bound to this fiduciary responsibility. What that means is, is we work for our clients, not the other way around. So uh, by doing that and representing our buyers, uh, we can look out for various things like in these contracts. Uh, we can make sure that, I mean, there's a lot of little things in a contract that are important for both buyers and sellers. And a lot of it has to do with money. But, you know, as an agent uh, and as a really good, reliable buyer's agent, the first thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to reach out to the listing agent and try to find out what it is that that seller needs. Because sometimes it's not about the money. Sometimes it's about, okay, I'm having to sell this home but I can't move into another home until I sell this home. So now I'm going to have a period of time where I could be homeless. Well, that's important to a seller. If it's important to a seller and the buyer is able to say, you know what, I need to buy the house right away, but I don't have to move in right away. I'm in a comfortable position. Maybe we can work out a lease back. Maybe we can do something that uh, would be beneficial to the seller that isn't necessarily about the money. So there's a number of things. Again, I, I've preached this to our team how many times that this is a relationship business. And it's not just the relationships that we have with our clients. It's the relationships that we develop with our vendors. It's the relationships that we develop with the agents on the other side of the, the transaction. And I've had this said to me many times by several agents around this area that the reason uh, some of the, the, the uh, contracts that, that our team has submitted, the reason they were accepted in a multiple offer situation is because they knew the agents on our side of the deal from other prior experience. So those kinds of things speak volumes. Uh, I'm very picky about who I have on the team because of that. Uh, I want our, our clients to feel that they can go to any of our agents and get the same representation uh, across the board. So uh, that, that is you know, one of many, there's so many different nuances to these things, it's not even funny. We, we could literally spend two podcasts talking about just buyers. <laughs> well, I'm sure we will one of these days. Uh, so, <clears throat> well, that brings me into my first question about buyers. So uh, you and I know, but our listeners might not. So what are the first steps a buyer should take when they're considering buying in today's market? 
So to me, the first step is, uh, and you know, everybody always asks, should I get a lender first or should I get an agent first? So to me, I always suggest that they get an agent first. And the reason being is that if they get the right agent, that agent already has relationships with other vendors, which includes inspectors and lenders uh, and repair folks, uh, other trade professionals, electricians, uh, plumbers, things of that nature. So uh, by having that already at your fingertips when you have an agent, that's always beneficial. Uh, most local agents know local lenders that have really good reputations with uh, uh, you know, across the industry. So that when I reach out to Daniel uh, with an offer that I've got, Daniel can rest assured that the uh, buyer that I'm bringing is a qualified buyer, number one. And number two, that the mortgage lender he or she is working with is a reliable and trustworthy uh, lender and is, has a reputation for getting the deal closed. So that's just one, one aspect of it. Okay. <clears throat> so... Um, you know, we, we've talked a lot about the market and how it's changed from, you know, the last several years that inventory is very low. The, the market moves a lot quicker right now than it has in the past. So, um, you know, we always try to be realistic about the current market expectations. So when you're working with your buyers, what are some of the things that you tell them so that they're prepared for these, you know, potential multiple offer situations or submitting multiple offers and maybe not getting the house that they really, really wanted? Well, I don't want my, the uh, buyers that I work with, I don't want them falling in love with a house. Uh, you know, I, I, I mention this all the time that sellers are selling a home because to them, they live there, they've got history there. The vast majority of the sellers, uh, they have some sort of emotional attachment to that, that home. So for them, they're letting a piece of themselves go. Whereas with a buyer, they're not buying a home yet. They're buying a house. And that's what the hardest part is to get across to some of these folks is you're buying a house that you're going to turn into a home. Take the emotion out of it. Do not fall in love with that house. I will tell you when you can fall in love with the house. And it's not going to be until I give you the keys to say the house is yours. Then you can fall in love with it. Until then, you just can't. I've seen too many times where buyers get extremely disappointed. We go in and we give it our best effort on a home and we get, a, I mean, they just fall in love with the house and then we go in and we just can't get the deal done because, you know, I, you know if they, once they fall in love with it, I can't negotiate for them anymore. They, they literally take that away from me, that ability to, to get that home away, but uh, to get that home for them. So we really don't want that. I would much rather, you know, if you keep the emotion out of it, then I can actually negotiate a little bit better, but that doesn't mean you're gonna get the house, especially in today's market. Uh, I mean, a house today is worth whatever a buyer is willing to pay for it. And sometimes these buyers are paying a lot more for a house than truly what it's worth. And, uh, you know, if, if my buyers and I set this expectation for them as well, I mean, if you're going to stay in the house for, a, for quite a long time where you can recoup whatever you put in as far as paying over the listing price, okay, then that's fine. But I'm going to run the comps and I'm going to tell the seller or the buyer rather what I think that house is worth in today's market. And it may or may not be what the listing price is. So, I mean, it's up to the buyer what they ultimately pay for the house, but I'm not in the habit of letting the buyers pay more for a house than what it's really worth, unless they just really want that house. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. I mean, at the end of the day, we have to represent our client's best interests and yep. paying more for a product that's not worth that is not representing the client's best interest unless that's actually what they really want. So, but again, it, it comes down to setting those expectations with them. 
Um, so you said something about, uh, you know, how buyers are very emotional. They have a, a deep connection with some of these houses that they go and take a look at when they, you know, really see themselves living there, right? Um, so let's kind of shift to investors, which I think you and I both know are kind of the opposite, right? Uh, you, we know buyers are, are tend to be very emotional and, and use their emotions to make their decisions, whereas investors are usually very numbers oriented. So uh, what are some of the things that you might ask an investor when you're searching for a property on their behalf? Uh, that's a great question. And that's, uh, that's a great segue too. So one of the first things that I want to find out from the investor is what type of a system they use to determine property value. Uh, because we have tools available to us as well. And when we run the numbers, what I think may be a, a good or a bad investment may not be a good or a bad investment for the investor. It all depends on what that investor's uh, goal is with that particular property. And there's so many different strategies out there too. I really need to ask the, the probing questions as to what it is they expect from this particular property. Are they going to buy it, hold it for a while, turn it into a rental property? Are they going to flip it? Are they, you know, what, what is their intent with that? Uh, how long are they looking to hold on to it? Are they looking for a duplex, a multifamily? Uh, the, these kinds of things I really need to know because that's going to help me focus. The other thing too is are they going to work with a lender or are they going to pay cash? If they're going to work with a lender, have they worked with this lender in the past? And if so, what kind of a system do they have set up with that lender? And the main reason I want to know that is because again, just like working with other buyers and sellers, I need to be in the loop on the, the lending side of this. Uh, I don't care about the details of that particular financing. I don't care about that. But where is the loan in the process? Uh, is the lender lacking documents before they send the loan package to processing? Has it come out of processing and now it's going to the underwriter and the underwriter is requesting additional documents? Is there something that I can do to help facilitate some of that going forward? So those kinds of things I need to know as well. Um, and then finally, what is their investment strategy? Um, Truly, what works for one investor may not work for another. What is their long-term goal with all of that? All of that is extremely important. Uh, so those are the kinds of things that I would be uh, ascertaining almost right from the jumpstart. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so uh, do you recommend property management for the investors that you work with usually? Uh, normally I do, yes. So, but it, again, that depends on the investor. So uh, your mom and I, as you know, own uh, several properties. Uh, and I do not have a management company for any of those properties yet. But there's a reason why. Uh, these properties, your mom and I are the ones that had them remodeled. We were there for all of this stuff. We know the, uh, the process that it went through. We know all of the work that was done on the homes. Uh, we still have uh, warranties with some of these other homes. So we can call these vendors up and have them come out, these contractors, have them come and take care of whatever problem comes up. Additionally, we already have people on the ground in these particular cities that we can just call up and say, hey, uh, Daniel, can you run by and check on, uh, uh, there's a plumbing leak. Uh, can you run over there and check on that for me? I don't have to actually physically be there to do that, but I already have those relationships with these folks to take care of a lot of these problems. Now, as an investor, if I'm going to be investing out of state, for example, and I'm looking at, at several out of state investments, then I'm going to want to hire, number one, a local agent. Uh, number two, I want to hire a local uh, property management company. And the reason being is they're familiar with the type of tenants that they're looking for that uh, in that area. I don't have a clue what kind of a tenant I should be looking for in a particular area in Nashville, Tennessee. I, I have no idea. 
Uh, I do know around North Austin area, uh, but I, I don't have a foggiest idea out there in Nashville. Uh, not to mention the fact, I don't have any contractors in Nashville that I can call up if there's a plumbing leak. Uh, I don't know about home warranties and how effective they are in these particular areas. So I want to have somebody that, yes, it's going to cost me a little bit, but I can calculate that cost into uh, the cost of doing business, basically, which still allows me to have some passive income uh, and appreciation if I choose the right property over time. So over time, I, th I always think it's a wise uh, uh strategy to use a property manager. Okay. <clears throat> so you said something about appreciation that of course I want to touch on because that is a huge part of, um, you know, the strength of the Austin market is we have a great appreciation rate in some of the surrounding areas over here, as I'm sure there are in a lot of the bigger markets around the country. So um, for investors that are listening to us today, what areas of Austin have you seen from your experience that are seeing the largest appreciation rates and that might make a good place for, for a good investment who's looking you know, out of state? So currently, uh, I mean, appreciation rates, uh, depending on the part of Austin area that you're looking at, they vary. They truly vary. I've seen uh, appreciation rates anywhere from 3% to 16%. It truly depends on the area. Uh, and everywhere in Austin is growing. It doesn't seem like there's any one specific area over another. Uh, but I mean, you can drive around Austin and, and see the traffic and not just Austin, all the little suburbs and surrounding areas, uh, you can feel the traffic, you see it. So you know that these areas are growing. Uh, but I did notice that uh, in particular, the East Austin area uh, going out towards Maynard and Elgin, those areas seem to be growing rapidly. There's a lot of growth, a lot of new uh, subdivisions going in out there. Uh, there's a lot of land for sale where there's other developers looking at possibly uh, extending or expanding even further out. So I anticipate appreciation rates out there to go up. We've got so many new companies coming here. Uh, it's, it's funny. We already have Apple here, here at Google, and uh, I know Oracle is, uh, I think, going either coming to Austin or going to Houston. No, I think HP went to Houston. Now we've got Oracle coming here to the Austin area. We've got Tesla here already. So all of these areas, we're already seeing the growth around those areas. And along with that also comes a rise in the tax base. So uh, those all add to the appreciation rates and uh, it's just, it literally depends on the, the specific area uh, that we're looking at. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I mean, that, that's all really great information. Um, so that pretty much wraps up all of the, the real estate information we wanted to cover today. So um, I'm gonna go into, at the end of every episode, we're going to ask our guests five questions. Um, they're gonna be rapid fire uh, and, and just kind of, you know, get to know the, the the interviewee a little bit and uh, give you guys a way to reach out to them. So dad, what is uh, what is the first concert that you ever went to? Uh, the very first one I went to was Genesis back when Phil Collins was uh, part of it. Uh, that was at the reunion arena in Dallas, Texas. I think I was 14 or 15. Wow. That's awesome. So that was your first show, 14, 15 years old. Great. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> uh, what is one of your favorite hobby or hobbies? Well, here lately, I've been playing the guitar. I've been doing that for about a year and a couple of months now. Uh, so that has been uh, predominantly what I do. I do a lot of reading. Uh, I mean, see some of the books behind me here, but uh, I've got books on leadership. I've got books on, uh, I don't know, the, the CIA and Robert Ludlum and uh, things like that. You just, it just depends. If I pick something up and it interests me, I read it. All kinds of different books. So those are the two primary hobbies. 
So follow-up question to the book one. Uh, what's the best book that you've read in the last year? Hmm. I don't know if I have it over here. I think it's on my nightstand. Yeah, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but it's basically 21 Principles of Leadership. That's not the name of it, but it's something that's along those lines. John C. Maxwell, The 21 Irrefutable yes. Laws of Leadership. That's it. That's the one. Great. Yes. That, great that's book. a great book. Uh, I've also read, uh, read uh, uh, oh my gosh, The Immigrant's Edge from Brian Buffini. Another, another great really one. good read. That's another good one. Yeah. So Awesome. Well, listeners, you'll want to check those two books out. Uh, so who's the most memorable person that you've ever met? Oh, wow. That's a good one. Um, most memorable person. Well, you know, considering my law enforcement background and some of the jobs that I was involved in, uh, you know, many years ago, uh, former President George uh, H.W. or George W. Bush Jr. I met him when he was governor on several different occasions. Um, Roger Clemens, former pitcher of the Houston Astros and Texas Rangers. I've Still met have his on, autograph lying around here somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I, I've met him on a couple of occasions. Uh, Clyde Drexler, Hakeem Olajuwon, uh, you know, the dream team. Uh, yeah. Just a, a number of athletes. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Well, that's cool. Um, what about, what is the most exotic place that you've ever traveled to? This will be interesting. That is interesting. So uh, when I was in the military, uh, in the Marine Corps, I spent some time in Okinawa, Japan, but then the last three and a half, four years I spent in Central America. And the most unique place that I have been has been a little town just outside of Managua, Nicaragua. Uh, and I can't remember the name of that little town. San Juan del Sur. It's a little bitty town on the very southern tip of Nicaragua, right before one enters into uh, Costa Rica. Great little uh, border town and a, a, a seaworthy town. So I did a lot of fishing out there. Very, very uh, primitive fishing. So, I mean, we literally had a board with fishing wire wrapped around it. Wow. And spoon lures. That's what we used to kind of troll around in the bay. Caught a wow. lot of fish that day. Man, that's a cool experience. <clears throat> well, uh, what about the, what is the best way for our listeners to reach you? Great question. So uh, we're on Instagram with uh, Chapel Realty Group. We're on YouTube, Chapel Realty Group. Uh, our website, chapelrealtygroup.com. Reach out to us in any of those formats. Awesome. We will make sure that we tell our listeners to reach out to you that way. Um, so, you know, thank you very much for your time. This has been a really great interview, a lot of great information today. Um, so to all of our listeners out there, we want to thank you guys for your time. Uh, and let us know what you thought of our first show. You know, this is our first time doing this. I hope we did a good job and that we kept you uh, engaged. We want to help buyers and sellers and investors who are interested in moving to the Central Texas area. So leave a review for us so that we can get out to as many listeners as possible. Share it with your friends, your family, anybody you hear. If you're at the grocery store and you hear somebody over talking, you know, how they want to sell some real estate, refer them to our show, let them know. Um, you know, we, we not only have access to a huge referral network all over the country, so you don't have to be buying in the Austin area for us to be able to assist you. 
Um, you know, we have access to the Coldwell Banker Referral Agent Group. We're members of the Brian Buffini Network and, uh, you know, a lot of other uh, ways for us to connect with some of the other agents around the country. So if you're looking to make a move, looking to make an investment by yourself, give us a call. We'd be happy to help and find an agent to connect you with in your area. Or better yet, if you're coming to our area, we'll be happy to assist you guys in Central Texas. Uh, thank you guys again for your time. Again, this is the Chapel Real Estate Show, and we are so happy to have you guys with us. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you for joining us this week on the Chapel Real Estate Show. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend and leave us a review. Find us on social media at Chapel Realty Group and online at chapelrealtygroup.com. Until next time.